What's going on everybody this is Ian Barr over here at Wise Guys Hideaway and before this episode starts to take you down the rabbit hole like we always do uh, I just want to say that you sons of bitches are getting soprano today because we uh, we did this uh, episode initially you know on zoom so that uh, Red, David and uh, myself you know could have the whole uh, aesthetic of seeing each other you know over the camera red's uh really really big into you know live interviewing via zoom and uh you know uh, different forums of that so we uh we started out on that and uh i mean i mean red's just uh just got just an endless amount of stories and you know uh information that he could give us so you know me as I do. I just started picking that brain, and then before I knew it, fucking boop, that hour was up, and she was kicking us off, and she gone. And uh, considering it's tough enough for my, you know, brother over there in England to edit the hour, however long it was, video, and make it to where we can share just the audio here on Anchor. But, you know, I didn't want to ask him to like, hey, can we start a second link up? You know, you know, finish off, and then you have to edit the two together and splice them together that just uh i I wouldn't i wouldn't ask anybody who's not getting who's not getting paid to uh do something of that nature but uh one day eventually we'll have a whole production team just for uh that particular reason but uh i just wanted to hop on here and give a little uh what, what is it called prologue before this episode gets started and just to let everybody know me and red will be doing a part two to this episode to finish it off and you know explain how how and when and why he be became a federal informant and why he decided to work with them and you know the whole the ending tale if you will to uh the rowdy red saga as i'll call it. even though even though when you watch this interview you're gonna be like well you when you guys hear this interview for those of you who watch it on zoom you'll see what i'm talking about you know, you're gonna be like, this guy's not, you know, very rowdy, but <laughs> believe you me, he uh he's just he's just tamed down a lot in his uh, later years. He uh he definitely used to be a one wild son of a bitch. So I hope you enjoy the episode because I know I had a blast doing it. Thanks for uh you know all your support and your constant, you know, um your constant feedback and just everybody out there who enjoys this and you know actually finds it interesting, entertaining, all that. I mean. I do it all for you guys, man, you know, so I appreciate you, love you, and uh, I hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys are as, you know, content with your lives as I am. Thanks for listening to Wise Guys Hideaway, I'm Ian Barr. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway. I have a very special guest today. My boy Red's here with us to talk Chicago. He's a Chicago street legend, you gotta understand. I mean, this guy, if he, if he didn't do it, he, I mean, he's fucking seen it, so, uh, I mean, with very, you know, with no further ado, Red, what's going on, brother? 
Mouthful of water, that's my bad. Fucking I was cute. swallowing water, I'm sorry. I apologize. You're okay, that was my, my fault, my fault. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's that's a little good. chilly that's here. Good. It's only like uh, 54 degrees, something like oh, that. Get the fuck out of here. It's like eight degrees here, man. Come on now. <laughs> You're in Florida. I'm by the Great Lakes. I go on cell phone towers every day. You ain't cold, man. Trust me. You ain't been cold. You've never I been watched, cold. I watched you on the cell tower, and I just burst out laughing. So you do get some good pictures up there. What's up? You do get some good pictures up there. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, sunrises and sunsets is beautiful. Even my foreman fucking who's a slave driving motherfucker is like, if you don't take five minutes to enjoy the sunrise and the sunset, I mean, what are you even really doing up here, man? Like, you can't hate your life that much. Come on. But, no, it's a, it's a good time. It pays the bills. It keeps me able to do shit like this. You know what I mean? They fucking Monday through Friday, us, they're, they're really reasonable about that. We get our weekends. And then, you know, I mean, it's it's a good-paying job. Fuck, I mean, I love it. It's definitely the craziest job I've ever had. It, nothing else is going to compare. And I've never been to Cedar Point, and now it's fucked for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Red, we're going to just dive on in here, and we'll give shout-outs as we go. Um. I'm starting early. You, your first line of really like running with what I'd call an organized crime unit or like they weren't at the time. It was more of like beer chugging and fucking, you know, group orgies and, you know, smoking dope or uh, you rode with uh, the Chicago Outlaws, right? The one percenter motorcycle gang. Right. How did, th how did that come about? How did you like, did just kind of one of those things just fell in your lap or? One of my buddies that was in the Marine Corps, uh, all the guys were older than I was. Okay. I always hung around with older guys. Okay. So one of my buddies that served in the Marine Corps, uh, Gremlin, he was with the outlaws. Yeah. And he turned around, he turned around, Dan, his real, his nickname was Gremlin. No, I love and, biker nicknames. I like Scurvy George and, oh my God, <laughs> but biker nicknames are some of the best. Well, he, he said, why don't you, you know, why don't you get a bike? And I said, I don't want a bike. And so he let me ride one of his. Okay. And, um, I liked it. I really yeah. did. And yeah, I especially know. I liked it on the, we didn't have interstates like we do now. So right. on, the, on the expressways or the tollways, I really liked it on the road. It yeah. was a road bike. So yeah. um, eventually uh, he brought me to the clubhouse on Milwaukee Avenue. Okay. And he introduced me and I went as a probing. Yeah. I, I how, long were, how long you were, were you all prospect for? Not long. Not long. I think it was two months. Two months? That's impressive. That's good. Most guys have to go a year. That's that's pretty impressive. Not only that, they may be road captain. Yeah. Oh, no shit. All right. Yeah. Badass. Now, back, like, back then, like, being road captain and all the ranks, what did they entail back then? And, it, like, is it the same today? Because today it's more like, like, I mean, to me, the mob sort of became, like, uh, organized crime on Hell's Wheels. You know what I mean? You got – because, like, it's gotten to the point where – They were. They were. The Hells Angels even have a, a certain faction of the Hells Angels that are legitimate riders. They don't – they're not involved in any crime. They're not one percenters. They don't wear the one percent hat, but they still wear the Hells Angel cut. And I thought that was – that was real uh, real smart on their part because, I mean, I think – I don't know how – I don't know if it would help you dodge Rico, but I, I, I don't know. I think it would definitely fucking put a little, uh, little fire, a little juice on your side for, you know, your defense attorney to argue. Like, they're not, you know – there's no Rico here. These are, you know, just but we, we didn't have Rico back then. I'm saying today in this day and yeah. age, like, you know, they're trying to, yeah. But I mean, you came up in the era that was really starting that. Like, it was still kind of like it was wild. Yeah, it was it wild. Was, it wasn't hippie ish that I thought. I mean, 
because it was you guys are like a bunch of hippies but not like the peace love dope hippies it's like yeah the love you know dope but like get our way and <laughs> no, there, it, was, it was more or less uh a modeled after sunny badger yeah it was modeled after angels yeah oh yeah yeah um, um my, my buddy mike freely shout out to shout out to you freely you old tower shaker his uh his great grandpa otto freely is actually who originally started the hell's angels before uh, taking off, he takes off fairly early. I don't think he's even, he might not even be around for like five years before he just kind of, I mean, sort of disappears into the wind, rides off into the wind. I don't know if like it started to lose what he wanted it to be or if, you know, he just was done with it. Who knows? But uh, yeah. <laughs> it is it lost what, what I wanted it to be too. I was having fun. I enjoyed the endorphin rush and everything else. Yeah. But some of the guys had some real bad habits and I wasn't into drugs at all. Okay. My high was riding or you know, skydiving or something like that you've been skydiving oh yeah i still do how, how is that i haven't got to go yet uh it's like letting go of the world you just let go of the world you don't have any cares in the world um it's very free i bet i bet because it's, like, think skinny, it's like skinny dipping because <laughs> i'm always thinking because when, when we're at work sometimes we have to do what's called going underneath the platform which is where you hook off you know a harness and your rope and you're essentially just sitting in like a rope harness. You're hooked off to stuff, but like if it all were to disappear, there's nothing underneath you. You know, you're gonna it's it's gonna be a boop. And even that's kind of like freeing in itself. You know what I mean? To like just kind of sit there and be like, wow, it's a, it's really cool to see how birds look at you. I, you probably don't get to see it skydiving because you're going too fast. But birds literally will look at you when you're in a tower. Like what the fuck? You ain't supposed to be up here. And some of them will look at you like they're wondering if they can fucking eat you or not. Like they're one, they're really breaking you down, and then they usually fly away. You know, like birds nests are crazy up there. But yeah. so I can imagine skydiving being poof a rush, and, unless you hit a bird. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Because right, they're so usually flying flocks anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. I can't imagine in a real. Uh, Windy State, either like Oklahoma or something like that, a bird get like blown into you up there or something like they're all trying to fly, you know, like that's crazy. I couldn't climb down where fucking you live. That's swampy. Mm -mm. No, sir. No, sir. Uh, but anyway, okay, so you, you get introduced to the outlaws. You go through, uh, you know, the prospect phase. You get fully patched in in, in two months. Really fucking impressive, actually. That's a really impressive number. Uh, you're not a I'm guessing it could have been, it could have been 60 days. It could have been whatever. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, for, for argument's sake, two months. Well, you lose track of time when you're riding with an outlaw biker gang, you know? I know the night of my initiation, we had this big table. It's a clubhouse. It was all yeah. wood. And I was drunker than hell. I mean, I was really drunk. Yep. And they picked me up and put me on the table, and they pierced my ear. They took a, a, a finishing nail and a hammer went bang right through my ear. Yep. And... I think it was Gremlin that turned around and he put a, a gold earring with a cross in my ear. Nice. And nice. Uh, he said, you're made, man. That's it. You know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> then they gave me my colors. They gave me, yep. they already had them on a jean jacket for me. They had okay, them all so sewn in. Yeah. Down, hot leather. Okay. Instead of my probation pants, they already had sewn in for me. Nice. And it was like, wow. And that so was the, the, the they gave the me the bill. <laughs> Did the outlaws do like what the angels did with the cuts to where like in the early 60s and when the angels are first starting out, there was only, there was one woman who sewed the, the patches. Um, we only had one seamstress. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, it seems to be a, like a common thing amongst the outlaw biker. It was protection. Nobody wanted a, a false colors. 
if yeah, you're yeah, if you're yeah. flying colors, it was yeah. like they didn't have trademarks on it. You know? yeah. <laughs> now, what patches were still around? But was it literally just the cut? And that was the one percenter even around yet? Oh, we were. I was one percent. Yeah, but it was. I'm asking about the patches because it's gotten to the yeah. point where they got. No, I had one, one. I still have. I had one percent patch on my left hand nice. side. Nice. That's awesome. I, I always like the. Uh, what is it? You'd have the Outlaws Forever, Forever Outlaws, or Forever Outlaws, Outlaws Forever. Did you guys have that one going and all that? Because they got like a – they're like the Boy Scouts with fucking the patches. They get. They're not like the Boy Scouts. I had Scouts so many patches, that. guy. I had all kinds of patches all over that thing. Hell, yeah. that's You can tell when a motherfucker's been down with the biker club for a while because they're, they're flexed up my, my ex. And you never brother. wash your colors. No. No. Never. They don't go in water. That's it. These colors don't run. That he don't let his hit the floor. <laughs> But he was, a, he was a little extreme. So what turned you off the, the outlaws and, like, what sent you more towards becoming an, uh, an associate for the Chicago outfit? I was kind of lost back in those days. But what turned me off was something that you and I have typed about back and forth to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a rally at Schoolcraft, Michigan. Yeah. And there was a bunch of guys waiting in line. It, it was this big field that was like 60 acres. It was a farm. Yeah. yeah. And different clubs were there. As a matter of fact, Detroit was represented there. No. But uh, everybody highwaymen? was off. Pardon me? Was it the highwaymen? Yes, it was. All right. Just want yes, to make, sure. make sure I got my history. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, somebody had a, like a tent set up. Yeah. And it was summertime. And, uh, there was this long line. We're drinking beer while we're waiting. And uh, there's a song line. I didn't know what it was. And I got to where I could see what was going on in the tent. Yeah. And what they were doing was uh, gangbanging this gal. And uh, some guy came along just before I got close to it. And I guess he wanted oral sex. He took a beer bottle, a Coke bottle. It was a seven-ounce Coke bottle. And he knocked her teeth out, and there was blood all over the place and everything. So I stepped out of line, yeah. went back to my bike, got on my bike, and I left alone and went back to Chicago. Hey, well, good for you, man. Despite the bad things you might have done in your life, you fucking definitely uh, It wasn't my scene. It wasn't my scene, you know. These guys are showing class in different ways. I showed my class on the road. Yeah, or in a bar fight, or you know, you know, handling. Yeah, I still got, some guy, some guy broke a beer beer bottle on the uh, on the bar, and uh, I did the same thing. I was drunk, and I broke my beer bottle. I split all the way down the middle, cut my finger. I was bleeding. And everything. I wanted to punch him instead of instead of uh, cracking him with a beer. Now, a lot of the guys that ride now on motorcycle clubs, what gets me, what really fascinates me about a lot of them is a lot of them are are, are still blue collar guys. I mean, I've met electricians, carpenters, roofers, stuff like because most of the illicit funds that are made, they go back to the club. They go to bikes for the club, beer for the clubhouse, you know, uh, um, getting brothers in and out of jail or keeping money on brothers' books when they're, you know, in prison. So I've always thought their dedication is, is definitely – it's always fascinating me. Their level of dedication is – it's definitely, I don't know, it's, it's different because I don't, ah, it's so weird to say it without, like, bikers getting pissed at you. But I would say that as far as, like, organized, structured crime facets go, bikers probably make the least revenue profit-wise. Because, like, if you're talking about what they got in their pocket versus, like, what a cartel member's got in his pocket, a wise guy, you know, something like that. Like, well, I wasn't into selling dope, but I was a thief. 
Uh, yeah, oh, I mean, we got to do what you got to do. I didn't work. All I did was <laughs> I lived a life. Right, right. What were you, uh, were you a stick-up guy or like a, a B&E no, type guy? No, I just <laughs> strong eye robbery. I just strong. wanted to grab whatever I wanted. He says, I need a few things and you can give it to me or I can rob you. It's all up to yourself. So, like, <laughs> most people cool. just gave it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, most people would, especially back then, especially if you're wearing a cut or if you're when they know you're connected. Like, oh, I bet. When I was alone, I'd just go and do my thing alone. And, and most right people just gave it up. They didn't want to. Right. I mean, a lot. No, actually, it is. A couple of times, guys pull guns on me. And I just <laughs> yeah. laughed. I just yeah. laughed. I said, <laughs> go ahead. Shoot me. <laughs> you ever been shot? Have, you been shot? Have you been shot? Oh, yeah. Several times. Yeah. Several times? Not during my bike years. Not during my bike years. I was never shot during my bike years. Oh, I didn't, I didn't assume so. I didn't assume so. I was talking about later on. I was talking about the years, years we're going to get to. Yeah, yeah. What, why, uh, why didn't it kill you? Shitty Ooh. caliber? Why I said, why didn't it kill you? They use a shitty caliber. I'm always dissing on the mob for using just, like, the smallest calibers you can find, it seems. The, uh, the first time I was shot, uh, there was a pimp that uh, I bought a building. Okay. And uh, it was downtown Chicago and kind of a bad neighborhood. It was in Old Town. Okay. And at, that, at that time, Old Town was really kind of rough. Okay. And there was a pimp on the corner and he sold heroin. And I had just moved into the building. Yeah. And so I walked downstairs. As a matter of fact, don't laugh about this too much. But I walked downstairs in the evening time. We had these lights set up on the street. It was only in Old Town that they had special lights. Yeah. Yep. And he was right on the corner. These gals would come by, give him his money, but he also sold heroin. Yeah. yeah. Was and it the so, it's like the 70s? Yeah. Early oh, okay. 70s. Okay. Uh, it had to be 1972, 73. Makes somewhere sense. around there. Yeah. That makes perfect uh, sense. It's before I opened up the porn shop. Okay. At any rate, uh, I walked downstairs, and this guy, uh, <laughs> I walked over to him in my pajamas and my robe, <laughs> and it was cold out. It was cold out. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I was going to have a problem, so my partner was up in the window. He's up on the fourth floor, and uh, he was up in the window with a rifle okay. and a scope. Yeah. So he really didn't need the scope, though. It was too close. No, but yeah, anyway, no. I walked down. Why not? All right. Why not? Why not? I, told, I walked downstairs and I told him, I said, uh, uh, you're going to have to leave. You know, you can't stay here. Yeah. And he started giving me some jive, black guy. And he started giving me some jive about how he'd been there for 12 years and he wasn't leaving, this and that, every other thing. And I said, you don't understand. That's my house. I live here. You yeah, got to yeah. leave. Yeah. And so he says, I ain't going nowhere. And I said, you're going somewhere whether you like it or not. I mean, you are <laughs> leaving. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And so he reaches in his pocket. He had a winter coat on. And he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a little 25 automatic. Oh, always. And so I reached over and grabbed his hand and twisted it down. I didn't want it to go up in the air because I didn't know who was going to get hit. Yeah, so, they got caught down. <laughs> Well, his right arm, it was, he was right-handed. I reached out with my left hand. I twisted down, and he fired. And it oh. went right into my thigh, a through and through. Right? It didn't hit the bone or anything. 
No, yeah, no, for and sure. And the only thing I could do is look at him and say, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he well, took a good beating. He took a good beating, and he never came back. He never came back. That's what's up. That's what's up. I mean, I'm sure it was a tip of the cap to you on his part. He's like, damn, I'm going to beat my ass. Didn't take my gun and shoot me. Like, all right, okay. No, I didn't take it. I didn't take it. I just emptied it. And yeah. He was That's gone. I mean, the thigh, there's actually a, I forget what it is. There's a pretty big artery that runs through the thigh. Yeah, like actually people who get shot in the thigh are very lucky. There's a large vein there. There's a large vein and an artery. I, he yeah. just missed them both. I went upstairs and uh, I had blood all over Got rid of the pajamas right away, the bottoms anyway. And uh, I packed it with Benadine, called my doctor, and he gave me a prescription for Keflex. And so I was taking the Keflex. I had to lay off of drinking for a while. What is Keflex? It's an antibiotic. Uh, it, it's not a myosin. It's a sulfa drug. But if you're shot or wounded, if you have a wound, It'll kill any bacteria or anything like that. And then I, I packed it with Benadine, you know, okay. Benadine cream. I just yeah. packed it with Benadine cream, wrapped it up with gauze, and that was it. No, there I've always been no hospital or anything. No, I've always been amazed that street guys patching up their own wounds, irons, like what you just said, whatever you got to do. Cauterize it. I didn't cauterize it. It healed. Oh, I bet it was a 25. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about those guys who get hit with like a 40, and they're like, no, it's all right. I'll be okay. You're not going to you a ain't getting up. You ain't getting up. If you get hit with a 40, you ain't getting up. It depends. It depends on the angle. It really depends. There's people who've been shot point blank range with like shotguns and live. You know what I mean? Like, not well. They didn't live well, but they lived, you know? Like, there isn't anybody I've ever shot with my. I used to keep a 45 in the small of my back. Yeah. And believe me, no, it's a cold 45. Yeah. It's yeah. 1911? 1911? No, it was a combat commander. I still have it. Okay. It's, it's a combat commander, and it, I bought it in 1970. Okay. And it's a four-and-a-half-inch barrel instead nice. of a six-inch barrel. Nice. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big gun fan. But, I mean, to counter that point, though, uh, Curtis Jackson, better known as the rapper 50 Cent, was shot nine times with a 45, and he's alive. <laughs> I only shot uh, two people with that 45. And neither one of them lived. One got hit in the arm. It blew his arm off. Yeah, how close were you, though, too? And I guess he about did 10 get feet, shot. About 10 he feet away. He did get shot through a car. He did get shot through a car as well. Yeah, I think they pulled up on his car, lit him up through the car, and he lived. Well, this, guy flipped, over, this guy flipped over head over heels for a couple times and blew his arm off. Gone. He gone. Oh, so yeah. who introduced you to the guys that you uh, – because you know Tony Spilatro, right? That's actually how I met Red. Tony, Red, I thought Red was actually hating on me the first time I read his comments because he's like, I read it and he's like, hey, you're a fucking joke, guy. I was like, well, I don't know these people. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just doing research. Yeah. So Tony you actually, was, you know Tony, you knew Tony Spilatro, though? Tony was a very close friend of mine. Very close friend of mine. Well, let's set the record straight on him. What are some of the things? It upset uh, Hollywood me very much Bob? when he went missing. What's up? It upset me very much when he went missing. I know he was dead. Yeah, I was gonna say you knew the result. Did you know the result? Oh, as soon as I heard, because what does it say? The meeting has been. Why not? It's time. We uh we bullshitted for a while beforehand. I don't know. It says recording on my end. Okay. Well, they've removed the forty-minute time limit, so yeah, not a problem. It's just been removed. Technical. Right. No, it's all good. It says recording still on my end, so it's all good. 
I would think I would think it's like you even hold your cigarette like an old timey gangster, bro. I ain't seen you reach into the ashtray and like bring it back like just your average. You always got like the the one fucking thing. I love it. I love the. Aesthetic. I either hold it like this or you know. I when I smoke cigarettes, I switch to vapes because when I'm up in the towers, man, that wind just fucking talk about two three packs a day. I can't not not at these prices. Can't hack it. Can't do it. But before that, I used to always because uh because of Jimmy Burke. Jimmy Burke's my favorite. Gangster of all time, probably the Robert De Niro's character from Goodfellas, but you know the actual guy, not who fucking Scorsese wrote in, like he always does. Great director, by the way, Scorsese. Fucking love him. Goodfellas, favorite movie. Casino he, top ten. He, he expounds. He goes way far from the truth. <laughs> he goes. He, go, he goes very far from the truth, but also he is like Casino. He did take a lot of advice from Frank Collada, so that's. That's one of those you don't know. I, I don't May he know. rest in peace. Frank Collada was not always honest. My favorite thing about Frank, Frank was one of my favorite rats. Actually, I like I like most of you Chicago guys for that because uh, I don't really like Chicago to begin with, you know, because Red Wings, that's another main reason I'm wearing this is just to sport it. But there's always – You don't like Blackhawks. You don't like Blackhawks. No, I don't like the Blackhawks. I'm not a fan. I am not a fan. But the Red Wings ain't doing good either, so I can't really talk shit. <laughs> but, no, um, I did have fun at Lollapalooza, though, actually. That was a good time in Chicago. Chicago does know how to throw a fucking party, but – you know, I don't like Chicago pizza. I don't like Chicago hot dogs. And, like, Chicago, like, the mob, it's not really my strong suit of the mob. But I have always been fascinated with Tony Spilatro because, you know, art imitates life, imitates art. Like, for what he was given to do with it, I think Joe Pesci did a great job in the role. You know, like, as inaccurate as it might have been in spots, like, that's what he was given to base it on. You know I mean? It's not his fault that, like, hey, this is how crazy this guy was, you know, like. He wasn't that crazy. He wasn't that crazy. That's what you were uh, saying. Um, there are two spots that I really didn't like in the movie. And one where he's stabbing the guy with the pen at the bar. Oh, that's, that's one of my favorites. But he he wasn't like that. He would never do that. No. Okay. He'd walk, I mean, that he'd walk the guy outside. He'd walk the guy outside. He'd never do that. See, one of my favorite scenes is uh, not even one of the violence. I do love the vice grip scene because uh, it's just it's, – I mean, you got to do what you got to do to get information out of people. But one of my favorite scenes is when he's got the gambler at the bar, like his lounge is closed or whatever. And then the guy's giving him the run around saying like, oh, you know, I had to owe these guys. So I stopped and I paid him. He's all like, he's all, you know, I gave you money to put food on your table, put the heat on. You know, your wife yeah. called Frankie. No, him he, he did that. He did that. He did that. I can see. Now, did he actually go into Vegas and just sort of, I'm going to take over because who the fuck are these guys going to run to? Start tapping. He was a shark. He was right? a long shark. Now, did he actually, like, because they say in the movie that when when he moved to Vegas because he wasn't dealing with Chicago guys who everybody knows somebody, so you can't really just go run around fucking every bookmaker over. Did he place bets, and if he won, collected, lose, be like, go fuck yourself because you don't, you don't have nobody, or is that a myth? No, he would walk in on independence or somebody yeah. from New York or another city that moved out to the land of prosperity, yeah. and then he would just – walk up to him and he'd, he'd tell him, you know, this is the way it is. And uh, that, then he could find him. Anybody ever crossed him, they would call and say, hey, you know, who is this guy? And I know he's connected with Chicago. Yeah. And can we take him out? And they would laugh and say no. <laughs> and then they would call if they were from Cleveland or they yeah. were from New York or, or from not, or even New York. They yeah. would call Chicago. They would call Tony, and they'd say, okay, so now he'd have the arm on him, and they'd say, 
would you protect our guy from any Metro police or anything like that? You know, right. So yeah. Tony takes street tax. You take 20% of them. Yeah, no, I can see, I can definitely see it. I can most definitely see it. Uh, I mean, I've always said Vegas is uh, Vegas seems to be where good gangsters go to get dumb and die. Is how I always put it. I mean, from Siegel to fucking Tony, to, it, it doesn't seem like anybody got to go and try to hold down Vegas for an extensive period of time without it getting the best of them. It like New York City might be the city that never sleeps. Vegas is the real city that don't sleep. It don't stop the gambling. The you know, like I mean, I know New York doesn't stop either, but like. New York also has like its business sense. Las Vegas business is the party. You know what I mean? Like that's that, you know, that is the business. So I don't really think, I think Vegas is almost too much criminal freedom for a criminal. Sometimes it seems like, you know, it was a cowboy town. Exactly. Yeah. The wild west. Yep. And back in the old days, it's where the cowboys from the West used to go and there wasn't any law. Yeah. yeah so they know, went there. That's why they had legalized gambling. Uh, you know, they were very instrumental. Because you can gamble 24 hours a day there, right? From fucking yeah. sun up to sundown. But going back in history, I was with Marshall Cofano, and uh, he was stationed out there in Vegas. They sent him out there. Uh, was, back he in, was he a soldier or was he a captain? Marshall? Yeah. He was, he was, uh, Marshall was something to be contended with. He was uh, part of the old 42 gang. When I met him, he was like, uh, I think he was 68 when I met him. Oh, wow. Okay. So he just got out of prison. He did some time <laughs> out there. Uh, what happened was uh, he went to Ray Ryan and put the arm on him to okay. collect a gambling debt. Right. And the gambling debt was 500000 But when he went to see him, he told him, he said, I want a million every year. Every year, I want a million bucks to keep you alive. It's a life insurance policy. <laughs> so Ryan didn't want to have any part of it. He goes, he runs, goes to a payphone, calls the FBI, tells them everything. Right. Now, he was an oil millionaire. I mean, he was a multi-multi-millionaire, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. And so he calls the FBI. They arrest Marshall. Bang, he gets 10 years. Okay. And for 10 years, there was nobody out there. I mean, right. it was kind of vacant. So right. when they sent Tony out, there was, Johnny Roselli was out there. But okay. uh, when they sent Tony out there, it was like 1971, 1972. Okay. And when he left, I, you know, I said goodbye to him. We had going away parties and stuff like that. You never went out to Vegas to, after, like, he, you never? Oh, no, I went out there quite a bit. Okay. I just okay. didn't run into Tony when I was out there. We kind of stayed away from each other. The only time I really saw Tony was when he'd come into town, when he'd come to okay. Chicago. He okay. used to, all the other guys used to call me. On the phone, they say, is yeah. it okay to stop by? Not yeah. Tony. He'd come in the middle of the night or like 7.30 when it's dark out, you know? Yep. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door or a doorbell, and I'd answer the door and, or have somebody else answer the door. And they say, yeah, little guy's here. <laughs> and so uh, I'd, I'd, he'd come in and uh, he'd say, hey, how the fuck you doing? You know? <laughs> we'd, yeah. And we'd sit down and we'd drink some scotch and his main topic of subject was to talk about women. So, <laughs> so they didn't get that part wrong in a casino. What we, about never talked, we never talked about his business. He'd ask me, how's business for you? I'd just say, okay. And we wouldn't so say what kind of business. Violence is what you're saying. He didn't like, he didn't like relish in the violence. It didn't get him off. It didn't, it was. No. It was he only used it when necessary. 
maybe a little meaner than most because you know you're smaller. You got to make you got to make a mark, like you know. And he, I, I, he was a little guy. Things. He was only he was only like five, five four, five four, yeah, five, four five, five five. He had lifts on his shoes. He had big <laughs> lifts on his shoes like that. <laughs> he pulls it off better than Nikki Scarfo did. Oh yeah, a lot better. Yeah, a lot better. John hey, Osborne, the first agent that I worked with, John Osborne. He's yeah. the one that arrested Mickey Scarfo. Really? That's really cool. That's actually really, really cool. He uh, was Dave, transferred to, from Chicago to Philadelphia. John. Oh, man. Great now, guy. Dave, you're, Dave, you're a pretty big Chicago guy, man. Why don't you fire a few questions away? You fucking, you know more of the names he's saying than I do. Hey. <laughs> he's he all like, cool. I just, he's like, cool. I was going to get over with it. No, I was going to get over with it. No, I'm no, I'm just I'm just fucking spitballing back and forth. What's the point? Hey man, I gotta have my British guy talk 20 minutes of podcast or fucking I start to lose listens. Come on now. I, I, I don't even know where you were, brother. I'll just fucking fire away fucking Chicago questions and he'll answer them. Work you know me. Just tell me how, how much you hate Chicago pizza. He hated uh uh, yeah, I'm over here pretty much just belittling Chicago I, I, and then I, asking was, I was listening to the um to the like the one percenters. What what kind of how did you go from the one percenters over to the Chicago outfit? I I know you wasn't actual you weren't a member of the Chicago outfit. There was, a, the there was outfit, a gap between there. Right. There was a gap between there. And I had to go out and work. Yep. So I ran into um I wrote about it in my book. I ran into um I went to my, I went to, I was forbidden to see my uncle and uh, my uncle Roy and he was dating Marion McGann and uh, I went to see him and Marion was um, Kurt Hansen's sister and he owned the Valley View Yak and uh, they had bands playing there all the time. It was a juice bar because he couldn't yep. get a liquor license. Okay. And so I went out to work for him and um, eventually I, through a bunch of errors, I wound up going back into Chicago. I was with Jimmy Couture then. Right. Okay. Jimmy, Couture, okay. Jimmy the Bomber. Okay. But uh, nice guy. He sent me out to Vegas one time to pick up a package. <laughs> nice guy. I like Jimmy. But um, I went to work at the B-Girl bars. Uh, buy the lady a drink, sir. You know, what is it? Sit on your lap. <laughs> if, you didn't, if, you didn't, uh, if you didn't buy a drink, they'd leave. But right. I was a bartender. I was a bartender for a while. So, you, so you that was my transition. Kamikaze, then, uh, is what you're saying. Pardon? I said, so you can make me a mean kamikaze or a white Russian, then, is what you're saying. We didn't have kamikazes. And the biggest thing we had then that was uh, a heavy drink was called a zombie. What was in it? Seven different kinds of rum, and it was different layers. They were different colors. And if you drank that zombie, that's all you had to drink all night. <laughs> Anything on the house was free after that. Right, right. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, alcohol's gotten so much easier to consume for people. <laughs> they, they, fucking, they make well, it. The drinks were simpler than now. It's now drinks are very, you know, they got exotic drinks. Yeah, but they were all simpler then. There was only like 15, 20 drinks that people drank. That's what my dad's always joking about. He's like, shit, when I was coming up, he's like, there was maybe five beers. He's like, now you got fucking, you know, an entire wall of coolers. IPAs, you know, all the, you know, I hate IPAs. I can't stand them. I'm a regular beer drinker, so. But, uh, yeah, so you're, uh, you're running, with the, running around with the Chicago outfit. Now, is your primary way of making money still, uh, like, theft? 
still being a thief? No, or you, no, you know? no. I gave all that up. I okay. was bartending. Okay. But if you're a good bartender and you could talk to people, yeah. Um, I was making like two, three hundred night dollars a night in tips. Oh yeah, no, I've known a few bartenders. They they can make. And in those day, in those days, my rent on my home was only seventy five dollars a month. I mean, cigarettes were only twenty five cents a pack. Wow. So you guys so three hundred dollars a night in tips. You don't really worry about too much. Yeah, I know you can get a sixty nine Chevelle for God knows how how little then and what it's worth today. Oh man, oh man. A lot of guys used to steal. I never stole. Anybody I worked for, I didn't want to slap in the head either, you know? Right. No, I, 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 can, I can totally see that. So when did the legitimate lifestyle, despite the fact that you were doing all right, you were living comfortably, you're not starving, when did that still – when did the life call you back? Because, uh, I mean, obviously, obviously at some point uh, the life came calling again and you went from, you know, being like, no, bartending is not a bad gig to like, well, maybe I'll dip my toes in just a little bit. Okay, I was hanging out. I knew I met these guys at American Bonding. Okay. And uh, Milwaukee Phil was there. Okay. He was okay. actually the boss of Chicago at the time. Tony was his protege. No kidding. Or he was Tony. Yeah, whatever. He got his uh, sadistic skills under Phil, I, and then I Phil uh, and then Phil assigned him to Sam DiStefano. Okay, there. He said, Sorry, "Watch out for Sam, and you know, collect for Sam." Okay. But Phil was really the boss of Chicago then. Okay. Where was, Ar where was Arcado? What was going on with him? I know he comes in and out like a whole bunch. No, we never saw him. We never saw him. He was out <laughs> of his home in Burton Forest, you know. He may have called the shots from the background, but. Yeah. Yeah. The day-to-day -day operations are saying Phil was in control. They didn't even sit down to get together, the bosses, in those days. If they did, it was at weddings or a funeral or something like that, or they go to uh, the Edgewater Beach Hotel. Okay. Somebody's, you know, big get-together retirement party for somebody. Dude, that's where Chicago and that's where I'll say the Midwest mob bosses and mobsters were actually really, really smart on some of the things they did. Like, I know Detroit and Chicago, both, a lot of the old-timers, as, like, times went on, would use uh, doctor's appointments, would use, you know, uh, like, like, not even a doctor's appointment for them individually, so they, their names wouldn't be on the papers for their grandkid or something. They take their grandkid to the doctor. Somebody stopped by with an envelope. You know, Bob's your uncle, fucking, and homeboy's a hundred thousand dollars richer. Yeah, that's how it worked. It's amazing. So, what were you kicking up per week? Pardon me. Uh, as an associate, you kick up to. I mean, you. It's all money always goes up in the mob, right? So I made a deal. I made a deal. <laughs> there was. Uh, I filled in for a, a place that was run out of Cleveland. Okay. It was owned by Ruben Sturman. It was a porn shop. Okay. But Vito Dominicus, who I tended bar for, okay. uh, he used to go down there and fill in every now and then. He was always checking them out. And when I saw the money that was going through that place, I said, these bars are nothing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I saw hundreds of thousands of dollars in a week. When are we talking, late 70s now or early 80s? Early 70s. Oh, early 70s. Yeah, it's real big then. So it's it was big because you couldn't get it on the internet. You couldn't get it. Uh, yeah. We actually, we actually had non-talkies. We had non-peep shows with non – they weren't verbal. They were just uh, – they didn't come out with the Super 8 cameras till like later, like yeah. 75 or something like that. Yeah. So when I started out, how I started out was very interesting. Uh, I went down and asked for permission. 
And uh, somebody, Jimmy Katura told me, she said, uh, go see Joy. He's a good boy. He'll take care of you. And Jimmy spoke with broken English all the time. Yeah. Yep. So when I was there, I met a lot of guys. We all, they all hung out there, that whole crew. Yeah. Grand Avenue. Yep. Yep. But um, Irv Weiner says, I, I was telling him, he said, why do you want to do this? And I said, the bar business is shit. These guys, <laughs> they don't pay me. Right. I live right. off my tips, right? Yep. And he says, what do you mean? He said, didn't they tell you, you know, the price? Yeah. And I said, yeah, but they're not, I can't get my money. He said, get in the car. Irv Weiner did. <laughs> and Irv Weiner was kind of a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, he was an Italian. But when he went around, he collected with me. Every, every place that owed me money, we stopped. He told me to sit and wait. And he'd take the guy in the back room and he'd come out and I'd get my money. So along the way, this guy owed me some money from the Over 21 bookstore. Okay. And so he's going, he says, who else owes you money? This was the last guy. And I said, he does. They're all on the same street. It's like a yeah. street. Yeah. And we went in and I said, Irv, I said, this guy keeps a, a sawed-off shotgun behind the bar, you know, behind the counter. Yeah, yeah. And he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a Smith & Wesson Model 36, or 38, I think it was. Snub? It was a shrouded head. Snub, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. A nickel plate, too. Okay, all right. It was right. nickel plate. So he pulls this thing out. Irv was an interesting character. He's the only guy that I ever knew in my life that on his glasses – he had his initials etched, monogrammed on his glasses. Very classy guy. Very Jewish. Very Jewish. <laughs> but any, at any rate, Irv goes in there, and the guy starts arguing with him, and he runs into the office and locks the door. Yeah. Irv knocks down the door, hits it with his shoulder, knocks down the door, goes in there, there's some scuffling going on, and Irv comes out, and he grabbed a handful of money, just a handful of money. and that was more than the guy owed me. I mean, yeah. so he grabbed it and uh, we walked outside and Irv was, had sweated up from rolling around with him. Oh, and yeah. so he gives me the money. He said, take it all. He said, take it all. And I looked at it and I said, but this isn't what the guy, he said, forget it. He said, take it all. He said, yeah. run this motherfucker out of business. He yeah. said, rent something right close to him, as close as you can get. Well, I did. I rented a place next door. <laughs> it was an old barn. And I had to build it. Okay. But my arrangements then went to Joey Lombardo. And then Joey and I were partners. Okay. And then Joey yeah. put me with Marshall Cafano because Marshall Cafano just got out of prison and he needed some income. And he went to the old boys. He wanted his territory back. Well, his territory, he couldn't get back. When he went out to Vegas, he couldn't get his territory back. Same thing happened with Tony. Yeah. I mean, yeah, once you're back and all these guys got their own territories, they're not yeah. going to give it up. No, that's uh, that's the whole Goodfellas bit. They like the whole they the whole shine box thing. It's exaggerated, yeah. it's mainly over a territory beef, to where it's like you're not getting your fucking territory back. <laughs> that's what happened. So Marshall, um, Marshall and I got along real good. Marshall and I, he was a nice guy. I mean, I like Marshall. They were all deadly killers, but I didn't know it at the time. I really didn't. There, I never saw that part of it. Was there any that you can say, like, you didn't like? Because you seem like you, you know, 
you try to see the good in people and you understood that it was strictly business. But was there something to where you're like, this, this fucking guy is a loose cannon. This guy's he's just dangerous. He's just simply dangerous and he's a loose hinge and I don't like him. Was there anybody who vibed you that you ran into that you were just like, yeah, man, this guy's a goon. This guy's a literal goon. Like, yeah, there was one, only one. Um, when Marshall got out of prison, he had a cellmate and evidently he liked him a lot. But um, what happened was the guy was from uh, Kissimmee, Florida. Oh, yeah. Florida? Oh, he was a real hillbilly. Oh, they call that was his nickname, the hillbilly. When they oh, saw him coming, they called him the hillbilly. See, moving but, to Florida is one thing. When you come from Florida, they're a different breed, man. They're totally, a different breed. Totally. And he came from the sticks. I mean, from the time he was in uh, like eighth grade. He was institutionalized constantly. He was a pyromaniac. I oh mean, this God. guy was a pyromaniac. He burned everything. But he was kind of, yeah, he was crazy. He did a lot well, of things. For you. They'd be like, we need to send a message. He'd be like, let's light it on fire. That's what they, they call for him, and he'd light something up. That was it. That's the, and hey, he did it. Everybody needs an arsonist somewhere in the lineup, just not very high. Don't give them enough rope to hang themselves. Well, the guys from the Grand Avenue crew didn't like him. Okay. And what happened was uh, he, from prison, he wrote an appeal. He was a jailhouse lawyer. Okay. And he wrote an appeal and got some time knocked off of Cafano's uh, uh, sentence. So when Cafano got out, he hires a high-priced lawyer and gets Johnny Rogers out. I mean, that's good of him, at least. But a guy does you a solid, you do it back to him. But, yeah, I mean, your look uh, says, I wish he'd have left the fucking guy there. But none of the other guys liked him. Yeah, right, right. And basically, he was a counselor for Joey. That's First basically day. what he was. Because he Phil, had died. Phil had died. He passed away. Milwaukee okay. okay. And Joey was kind of a street boss at that time. Kind of. Yeah. But basically, the Grand Avenue crew ran the city. Okay. Right. So what were the other, like, major crews, would you say, are, like, the, the crews that kind of, like, made up the outfit? Because the outfit isn't, like – the five families or uh, even like the, the combination or like the Cleveland mob, they, they, they still kind of have like that New York sense of like small little tight knit crews that all like intermingle and work. I mean, every mob does that, but it seems like some mobs uh, run more as like what seems like, like the Genovese seem to run more as like a whole entire, like a fraternity almost like instead of like a, like a gang, I call it, you know what I mean? They, the Genovese family got along very well with Chicago. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Gambinos, too. I never knew about that, personally. The Gambinos? Yeah. But they, our, they territories, our territories, going from the south side, the bosses, uh, like uh, Chicago Heights, they ran Calumet City, uh, northern Indiana, all the places where the beer used to be during the yeah. wars and stuff like the beer wars. In yeah, the right. 30s and 40s. Yep. They kind of ran all that. They ran the prostitution. They were big in prostitution. They were big in uh, gambling. But that was Not the high school. school. That was that was the high school. That was Al Pilato. Okay. And I used to ask, as a matter of fact, I got kicked out of there with Kurt Hansen. We were running uh, slot machines. Okay. Every bookmaker that had a tavern or something like that, we'd just go in and put a slot machine in yeah. there. Oh, they yeah. wouldn't say anything to us. We wouldn't even yep. talk to the bartenders or anybody. We just yep. put it in and leave. Well, Pilato got upset about it, and nobody – I was with Jimmy Couture at the time, and they were having wars back and forth. But um, 
he told us his, his brother was chief of police. So he told us, he said, get him out. So that was the end of that. And that's when I went to Chicago, like to 10 bar. Yeah. That's when all that happened. It all kind of happened in about a six month period. I know it's but amazing. It, time, time is crazy like that to where you're like, how did that much happen? It's like, Hey man, you ever wake up one day and the next day you're in prison. <laughs> you gotta eat, man. You gotta eat. You gotta have a roof over your head. It's cold out there, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, that, that, that rent thing, they want it every fucking month. I can't, like, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it didn't bother me that much because I walked in with a deal. They knew I was, I was going to build a store, and we'd agreed on a deal. And the deal was all the merchandise in the front, like the magazines and stuff like yeah. that, they were all mine. In the back, where the peep shows were, it was 50-50. Menza, okay. Menza, Menza, Menza. Yep. So that was a deal I made going in. That's a good deal. I mean, that's 50-50. <laughs> you don't get better odds with the mafia. <laughs> well, for the back end, I mean, really, I was taking like 75% of the store. It wasn't that much. Now, Marshall did the first count with me. Hush. Marshall good did boy. the first. Yeah, that's my dog. Good boy. Who's a good puppy? So, oh, no, uh, I love dogs. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, um, the first count with me was when we first opened. And there was uh, $1,000 there. So yeah, he, said, nice he said 500 a month for me. And he said, I won't pick it up myself, and I don't want to count it with you. I, I just, he trusted me. Yeah. He trusted me a lot. Yeah. And so um, we'd had some things that went on before that where – I actually threw the keys at him. <laughs> I told him I should take it. I mean, I'm through. I'm out of here. I won't do <laughs> I thought you guys were men of honor. And he looked at me, and usually he clipped somebody for that. Yeah, he, yeah. He did. And I was a young kid, and I don't know. It's kind of sometimes that spunk, man. Like I've said some stupid shit that I don't know how I walked away from it. I think like it's just an older guy looking at you and being like, "This fucking kid, he's going somewhere. I don't know if it's good or bad, but he's going." <laughs> Marshall respected me for some reason he did because I was honest with him. Yeah. If I used to tell it just like it was. Yeah. So anyway, uh, after we made the count, um, Johnny Rogers used to pick up the envelopes. And uh, one day he approached me and he said, I get half of what Marshall gets for yeah. you know, taking care of it. He said, how'd you like to buy me out? And at that time I was making, I had a factory. I had like five businesses going at one time, but I had a factory where I was making, um, I had a Fuddler reactor in there and I was making a product called Rush. I invented it. I invented this. It, it, what? Oh, oh yeah. It's like amyl nitrate, you know? Yeah. So at any rate, yeah, that's what it was. Popper. I even had, I, I put different labels on them. I even had one that was called uh, Mr. Popper, Dr. Popper. You know, like instead of Dr. Pepper, oh, yeah. Dr. Popper, oh, yeah. I had all kinds of Hunter S. Thompson's my favorite writer. I know what poppers are, brother. I know. <laughs> so Rogers comes to me, and he wants to, um, he wants me to buy him out. Or, you know, and so I said, okay. I said, yeah, I'll buy you out. What do you want? And he said, give me 1500 bucks and I'll walk. And I said, whoa. And, you know, my own mind. I said, whoa. And I said, I'll think about it. I went home, <laughs> grabbed $1,500. <laughs> I went over to him and I bought him out. Now, that only made it $250 a week. Right. So 
Then I gave it to Phil Amato, who was, uh, he used to hang out where Joey did and everybody else at this, what we call the spot. It was yeah. a Jimmy Kozo's place. And so I'd go over there and give him the envelope. Sometimes he'd stop over at my house. I always had dogs, so he'd bring them leftover soup bones and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Very friendly, very friendly guy. Most so most of the guys are. That's what's amazing that like when, when you like really start to study them, you do find like the psychopaths and the crazies, you know, like the, the Mayo crew and all those guys. But just like you said about everybody, there's to somebody in like that walk, except for Mad Sam. Mad Sam's the only one of the only mobsters I can look up that I'm like, I don't think anybody fucking missed you when you went. I don't think one person really cared too much. Like, Nobody shed a tear. Nobody shed a tear. Everybody kind of sweat a beat of sweat off their head. They're like, thank God. The first time I met Sam was in 68, 1968. He was nuts then. Oh, yeah. He was he crazy. Was he was crazy. I mean, he used to ride around on horseback and fire his gun up in the air like a cowboy. I mean, he was really nuts. Jesus Christ. Was he, he really did, did worship Satan? Or is that just I, a myth? Did he really? No, he really I, I, I wrote about it and I did a bedtime story on it. I think I'm the only living person that ever came out of his basement alive. I could but, see it. Uh, I heard that place was a horror show. It was. It was bad. It was bad. But uh, what had happened was Kurt Hansen had clipped one of his collectors. He was a hitman. That's okay. all he he ran his nightclub out of the Valley View Yak, like I just told you. Yeah. But he clipped one of his um, uh, collectors, and his brother owned the nightclub. Okay. And so he didn't tell me what he was doing. But he said, come pick me up. And we drove into Chicago from the suburbs and uh, south suburbs. And uh, we went to this house and I pulled in. They opened up the garage for me. I pulled in the garage and we went into the house. And that's when I knew it was Sam's. I didn't oh. know that before then. It was on Sarah Avenue, South Sarah. But at any rate, um, we go down in the basement and in the basement, there were a couple guys off to the side. I never, I didn't know who they were. And there was a, a table sitting there. And then there was kind of a little couch or love seat or whatever you want to call it on the side. Yeah. Yep. And somebody told me to sit over there. And his brother, Kenny, went over to the, uh, the table. And he sat down by him. And then Sam comes walking on the stairs maybe five minutes later. And he's in his... Uh, robe and pajamas like always big old crazy glasses just looking no, around no 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 he didn't have his glasses on didn't no glasses? but his hair was all messed up he looked always. like a crazy man always. looked like he just got out of bed somebody woke him up for this you know so anyway he comes downstairs and uh he sits down and he's, he's talking to uh ken hansen kurt's brother and he says uh you know why you're here don't you and i i just didn't like the voice the tone in his voice when he said that yeah and Kenny was gay. He was pink gay, right? And so he turns around, and he says, no, Sam, why am I here? And he said, Kenny, I'm gonna kill you. And he just went into a, a rage. And That's what I thought is that he just, it's just like a yeah, whole he snapped. He yeah. snapped. And it was part of the way Kenny was answering his, his questions yeah it was like i don't know nothing 
You know, I don't know nothing. I didn't know my brother clipped your guy, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, they're talking, but they were good friends. They were very good friends. Sam was a sexual deviant that liked little girls. Oh, yeah. And he was a deviant that liked little boys. But they both had something in common. They were both yeah. satanic. And over in the corner, there was like, um, it was a black um, piece of cloth over an altar. And he did have an altar where he worshiped Satan in the basement. And he used to go crazy. So he wound up screaming at him. He, he really, and he gets out of his chair, he's standing up and he's telling him, I'm gonna kill you. And so he says, what are you gonna tell me? What are you gonna tell me? And he's screaming. And so he says, I don't know what to say. He said, can you do me a favor? Real quietly, this guy talked yeah. very quietly. He said, can you do me a favor? And he said, you want me to do you a favor? You know, he said, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. And so finally, after his screaming and everything, he says, what do you want? What the fuck you want? And he says, when I'm gone, Sam, he said, would you take care of my dog? She's in the car. Uh, Sam says, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> So that was my cue. I was halfway up the steps, right. and Anita was upstairs. His wife, Anita, real nice lady. Yeah, she poor was woman, that fucking poor woman. She was making uh, tomato bread. It was not tomato bread, but she was made. I had a big pot of something. She cooked all the time, all and time. she had homemade bread there. And she, I took a little piece when I came in, and she said, "You want some bread?" And I said, "No." I went straight to the car, waited in the car. Hansen came out. We left, and I told him when I was driving him back. I told him, I said. If you ever put me in that kind of position, you could have got me killed. And he said, yeah, probably. No, yeah, I don't, I can't even speak on all the people you've met, but just from like the, what I've studied, I guarantee Mad Sam to stop and I was the craziest person you ever got to encounter face to face. He's a nut. He, if he, did, if he wasn't profitable, kind of like, a, like another Roy DeMeo, they, they would be serial killers. They would be a serial killer as opposed to a gangster. He was, was really insane though. I mean, he oh, was he, really insane. Oh yeah. No, he's a psychopath. He's 100%. I think he might have, like, a split personality disorder, too. Like, uh, armchair psychologist. I never took no courses or nothing. He was beyond bipolar. That's what I mean. It's like the flip-flop, the, like, the manic, like, split personality to where it's, like, the second, 30-second inconvenience, fuck, dead. Someone's got to die. Someone's got to die or I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> like Him and that ice pick. Yeah, yeah. And he picked that uh, up. He picked that up from Phil Aldericio. Oh, okay. And... Tony got it from Tony tortured a lot of people the same way. Oh yeah. Oh, he was yeah. big that's on the nuts, man. He, he liked to stab him in the nuts with the ice pick, you know. <laughs> there you motherfucker. Take that. If you're a tough guy, you think you're tough? You ain't so tough. I mean it took hey, it, I mean I'll still count it as tough. It took putting his head in a vice grip. That was something that happened in the early 70s, and they put it in the film in Casino like it happened at the happened at No, casino. yeah, I know, and it happened in Chicago, actually. It didn't happen in Vegas. Yeah, it was the McCarthy, McCarthy, uh, they were- The m, &M murders, the m, m murders. I don't remember yeah. the other guy's name yeah. either. So. But that, I didn't even know about that. Yeah. At oh, the yeah, time, I, mean, I didn't know anything about it. Tony never talked about it. I didn't know about it. Well, I, I seriously doubt that's something you want to have to bring up. That's that's why I actually think Joe Pesci did him justice because he's all like, "Don't make me be the bad guy. Come on now, like that's you know what I mean." Like, that was him though. On anything, you saw him when he was lending the money. Yep. Don't make me be a bad guy. Yeah. That's the way he was. Yep. You're As a matter of fact, he bought me a brand new Lincoln. 
I, I did a videotape on it. It's on YouTube. But he brought me a Lincoln. And I really didn't want the car. Yeah. But he wanted to teach the dealer a lesson. So he, he said, put it on my tab. Oh, man. That's and never going to be the car. No, that's never going to be He told me, he said, don't make me, make me be a bad guy here. I can see I remember, it. See, I, I guess that's why I love lot. it so much is because Pesci does, like, at least, like, aesthetically and visually, line, like, they couldn't have picked a better. Because Pesci's character from Goodfellas is actually a, a complete flip-flop, like, at least, like, physically and shit how the actual Tommy DeSimeone was. But for Tony Spilatro, especially when he's coming out of court, when you got Joe Pesci coming out of court, and he's like, watch out, you're going to get run over there. Like That's the way he was. Yeah, yep. I know, Take I, it yeah, easy. I, I, Don't I, hurt yourself. Take it easy. Yeah. Don't hurt yourself. You're run over there. Yeah, no, I, I do. It's uh, it is hilarious to me. Fucking the one, they, the one dealer in the movie though, the one where he's all like, "Take this stiff and pound it up your fucking." He was a real dealer. That guy was a real dealer. I actually saw him several times. I worked. I, I played uh, blackjack at his table a couple times. No kidding. That's hilarious. Yeah, I thought that was a cool little side note to the movie when uh. Cause I watch a lot of Frank a lot of shit. Like I said, I I, I like you Chicago guys, but I you, your stand up for we're like you're like hey, we were criminals, you know. We don't you don't really seem to like put it on somebody else like Frank a little bit, whatever. Like towards the end of his run, but like I'm always gonna bat. He's gonna constantly get bashed on here. Philly and Eddie drives me fucking crazy. Like the oh my uncle and the, oh, it's like dude, fucking take you. You were a man at some point. Take some responsibility for it. Like you know. I, I find people like that on Facebook. Their their family was somebody. Yeah. Way back, an uncle or, you know, somebody way, way back, a cousin yeah. or somebody else. And they they want to be a tough guy. Well, my cousin or my grandfather or somebody. Yeah. And I I look at them and I just, some I'd rather see them face to face because they make comments that I really don't like. See, that's where I call them out their name. I'm like, your grandpa's fucking dead. He's dead, bro. What are you, who the fuck are you? You know, like, that's where, like, when people come at me with where it's like they feel like I might have, slighted the person they're talking about because like when i write or when i do videos or when i i'm gonna throw in the the facts that we've found to be facts the the myths that we've not disproven but haven't proven and then the myths that like i can tell the myth and then be like but well, how it actually happened yeah 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 i'm gonna put it all in there man that's the beauty of all this because if not he's got a bunch of guys sitting around trying to think of their next scheme like the scene in Donnie Brasco where he's fucking banging the parking meter and like they're, they're struggling to come up with Rusty's but like that to me that's the epitome like if you were just gonna make realistic mob movies it's gonna be a bunch of guys sitting around throwing cards you know are riding around in the car smoking cigarettes trying to figure out their next hustle that's the way it was yeah that's <laughs> so the way it was it really was like that how much you got this month yep. how much you got this month yeah but see I was on a, a different level than that you got your own business that you did your own. You weren't like a, like a job. I was steady kid. income. I was steady income. I, exactly. That's all I was. They you never had coming out of O'Hara. You weren't like, hey, I got to get that, that shit no. first coming out of O'Hara or I'm going to be broke for the month. No. You know, like. And I was legit. Joey yeah. told everybody. Joey told everybody, don't mess with that kid. He's legit. And so you got to ride just close enough. Just everybody close was enough. upset because I drove fancy cars. I always had Lincolns or Cadillacs. And I always carried a firearm. Yeah. Nobody else could carry guns in the neighborhood. Yeah. And a couple guys made comments about me. <laughs> it wasn't that they didn't like me. It was yeah. they made comments about me. What about him? And he'd say, he's legit. He pays his taxes. He's a businessman. <laughs> yep. Leave him alone. Yep. He's an exemption. Yep. So, I mean, what is your heritage? How do you say your last name, for one thing? Because I feel like I'm always butchering it. And then, like, what is, uh, like what's your heritage? Because I've been trying to figure out, like, like are you Polish, Irish, German? What, like, what are you? I am Irish, 
Okay. Uh, uh, 78% of me is Irish. Right on. On, on, on uh, what is it called? Ancestry.com? Yeah, Ancestry, yep. And, uh, yeah, very pale skin. Oh, yeah, uh, hey, I feel red you. Hair, red hair, blue eyes. I got the blue color. eyes. I dodged the, the red hair because I'm Scots-Irish, so I got brown hair. <laughs> There's a lot of guys I know from Ireland that they black hair and blue eyes. Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, Tony, had it's Tony had blue eyes. Really? No kidding. Yeah, they used to twinkle. When he'd look, when he when he look, when he was laughing, he used to laugh a lot. But uh, when he'd look into a, a light a certain way, they would twinkle. That's funny. I wonder if anybody was ever catching like a beating or an owl from him, and like his eyes still twinkle, and like you'd still have that weird thought that like, oh, those are sparkling blue eyes. <laughs> from what I heard, everybody he beat, they weren't looking at anything when he was done with them. I mean, he put them down with one shot, one shot, to, one shot to the face, and that was it. He'd jump up. You know, Joe Pesci played in a movie, um, my, my Uncle Vinny. My Cousin Vinny. My Cousin Vinny, okay. And that where he pops that guy from the full <laughs> split. Yeah, that's what Tony was like. That's the full body shot where he's like, hey. Yeah, man, that's what it is. He just jumped up and banged. It was over. Oh, my God. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah, that's that is, that is fucking hilarious. So did the movie portray him? sort of getting burnt out on Vegas towards the end? Like, did, what was he into doing blow and, like, partying, like, towards the end of his run? And was it, like, kind of taking that a toll on him? downfall. His cocaine. I mean, it got a lot I of saw him, when he come into town, I saw him. He was getting fatter and fatter. He was wearing bigger size suits. And, you know, towards the end, he had a quad bypass. So his heart was going. Oh, oh, he was a mess. When they killed him, it was. Almost a mercy killing <laughs> No, not, not the way not, they did it. Not the way yeah, they that's did why it. I, I double back. That's why I said, I'm sorry. I didn't like, I, what I meant was like, it was, yes, yeah, so he was going to go. There was no way for him to continue on much longer. If they wouldn't have done it, then it would have been. At Every some one point. of them sons of bitches is dead. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Now when Frank Schweiss told me about it, he was in my living room. Yeah. And by that time I had him on camera. Okay. I was videotaping for the FBI. And he was looking for reaction, I think. Yeah. But he told me about it. And that was in 1986, June 1986. Uh -huh. I went right to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And we wanted a warrant so I could legally tape him. Yeah. And uh, uh, by January 1987, I had the tape up. Nice. And that's when he talked about every murder that he ever did. And then he used to ask me, tell me about your work. Because he thought I was a hitman. On yeah, the yeah. And yeah. He, he said, tell me about your work. And I said, Frank, I never talk about my work. Right, right. And this guy pat me on the back in front of the camera. And the FBI was laughing when they'd watch it. He pat me on the back and he'd say, that's what I like about you, kid. As he just like told him. you 13 murders he's done, he's like, hey, but you know to keep your mouth shut. Good on you. He talked about 80 murders on camera. I know. I always wonder what guys get too much credit and what guys get sort of shafted on, like, the, the numbers ratio with the murder. Like, because, like, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? What do they say? Between 50 and 100 and something that uh, Spilatro killed? No. No, you don't think so? No. He, he personally, well, no, you got to I'll count the ordered. I'll count the ordered, you know. I don't I don't really know of 
any that he actually did other than the Eminem, McCarthy, um, those two guys, but, uh, and I only know of it. Yeah. I don't really. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly yeah. you know. And then Danny Seaford, they say that he was there, but Frank told me he was there. Okay. So I really don't know about that one. But how accurate do you think Frank's testimony is? Like, how, what, on a percentage scale, where do you think Frank rides? Say what? Like, on a percentage scale of, like, how much is bullshit and just trying to get, you know, save his ass from hot water and know this is the actual truth, where would you put Frank Collada on, a, like, a percentage scale of how much of what he told us was the truth and how much was nonsense? You can say it. He's dead. He's dead. What's he going to do? His fans won't like it. <laughs> his fucking fans probably don't like me. Most people don't like me, Red. Come on. I would say Menza Menza. Frank and I, I never liked, I never liked Frank. Okay, I didn't make, I never met him, never yeah, met him. Okay. But when I went into town for Family Secrets, um, Mitch Mars was handling the case. And Mitch Mars told me he's coming on our witness list and he had perjured himself in two trials that I knew of. And so when he did, uh, I told him, I said, I'm out of here. And he said, what? And I said, I'm out of here. Yeah. And he said, your tapes are essential. I mean, you're, this is real live living stuff that we can yeah. show. We can yeah. prove that they were all connected with each other. And I said, then play the tapes. You don't need, and he said, we need you to corroborate the tapes. And I said, well, I'm not going to be here because that's it. If he testifies, I'm out. Yeah. So he took him off the witness list. Now, Collada made interviews where he talked about it. His one interview was, they approached me and I'm going to go to Chicago, you know. And I watched that one interview. It was at a book interview when he wrote his first book. And then I watched it with Adam Flowers where he said, nah, I told him I didn't want to do it. So. Well, what's he going to say? I, you know, now nah, I was bullshitting too much. They had a better witness. And, well, you know, I got no, he'd already known that I'd, I'd publicly put it on YouTube. Yeah. I'd put it on YouTube and I publicly said, so there were a lot of his fans that really didn't like me. They said yeah, I yeah. dissed him, you know? <laughs> You know how many Gotti fans hate me because I'm always trying to, oh, and since he hasn't gotten a shout-out yet, Sammy the Bull, when are you going to come on, bro? I'll pay you for the last – I mean, not for the last time. I'm going to do this until you come on. But, yeah, you know how many Gotti fans hate me because I'm like, hey, you didn't – I love that people who never once have stared down the barrel of a gun or 100 fucking years in the pen get on some sort of uppity level. Like, I'd have done this. I'd have done – no, you want That's like being like, here's what I'd have done when I stormed the beach at Normandy. You don't fucking know that. Like, you just don't know that, you know? Like – so that shit's aggravating. Like, I mean, people who, I guess, they didn't snitch, they went and did their 15 years, whatever, got to, okay, you can bitch a little bit, but it's never really them who's going too hard. The ones going, like, super hard at it are, like, fucking kids my age who it's like, dude, what, are you, what are you, you've done six months for some minor shit? Like, yeah, cool, me too, bro, but I've never faced 80 years, you know? <laughs> yeah. I call them keyboard warriors. Yeah. Just like it used to be telephone tough guys. Yeah. Yep. It's moved. It's moved into the, I think some people just do it for fun. I think it's just fun. I think how like I do this for fun. This is fun to me. I think just fucking with people. I think fun. the pandemic has a lot to do with too. That too. That too. I also think that a lot of people are, they're actually just. Normally they wouldn't even be on a computer doing this stuff. Oh yeah. But I mean, I wonder how many people got shit published. They're a telemarketer all day. You know what I mean? You're, you're getting told to go kill yourself all, all day. So when you get home for an hour or two to unwind, as fucked up as it is, you hop on and you go to whatever you can and just 
start shit. No matter how, because you can look up anything on YouTube. You can look up like a, a Chris Farley tribute since we're going to, you know, fucking just throw something out there. And like, see, he was fucking hilarious. He was at heart of gold, blah, blah, blah. Somebody on that thread is going to talk shit because he did drugs. He was overweight. He was, and they're just going to read him the riot act. And anybody who comments back, they're going to comment back saying more. It gets them off. It, I don't know what it does for them. I like but, Chris Farley. I like him. I fucking love Chris Farley. I think the people who fucking hop on and go super crazy sometimes like the person that they're talking shit about sometimes. It's just, it's like an identity form. Because like I said, you got to shit public service. I don't work in public service. I'm a trades guy and like an ex two-bit criminal. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't do the like, oh, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, if somebody's freaking out. I'm, no. So I can't imagine people having to bottle that up, bottle that up, bottle that, and come home. And then you can hop on the internet and just be like, no, it's on now. Fuck you. You. Fuck your cause. Your cause is ridiculous. Like just the opposite. You could be, I, you could believe in what's being posted and you'll be like, nope, just for fun, just for laughs, you know? Cause they never seem to do, I never see any real solid profiles or any real solid people on Facebook that are posting. Mine's so, on there. Who? My profile's on there. Everything on there is legit. No, no, no. I mean the people who are trolling, the people who hop on. Oh, yeah. Them, yeah. Look at their profile. They got, they got fake money. names like Joey C Note in yeah. Chicago. Oh, how many? The C Note's Gallows? a street gang. Okay. He puts up Joey C Note. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many Joe Gallows are out there? You know what I mean? How many, like, people literally, it's, it's ridiculous. It's fun. I used to get so mad about it, but actually, David helped me with that a lot. It's because, like, when I first got into doing it, the group I started, the group I, like, initially founded was the Gambino family. Because, I mean, they've always fascinated me. You can read the most on them pretty much. So it was a good way to start learning. But you want to talk about trolls in that group, dude? Oh, my God. Either gaudy cockriders or fucking just people with their nonsense, just bullshit, you know, and it used to drive me nuts, but eventually I had, like, I don't know, I had to learn, like, hey, man, it doesn't matter. Delete them and on to the next. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me, one of the things, is that um, there's so many people, so many books have been written that they read it, they think it's true. No yeah. matter what was in there, oh, they're going to swear by it. I read, it's like, I saw it on Facebook. It's got to be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I actually, like, that gives me a good tangent. So I take issue issues. with that. I take yep. issue with that. And oh, I, try no, to, I try to tell them the truth. Yeah. And they don't want to hear it because I read it in this book. I read, it, I read that in that book. They don't understand. You know how many people are convinced? That's why I wrote the book. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It says in the beginning to set the record straight. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, like, yeah, because, uh, well, which one was I just thinking of? That was a good example. Um, and oh, then, I, and the to be honest with you, I, I got to tell you, to be honest with you, you never really know about the news until yeah. you read about yourself. Yep. Because That's the true. news is not accurate. That's true, 100%. When I said the first thing I, I saw in the newspaper it was written about me, I couldn't believe it. It gave my name, my address, and everything, and it, it was about Marshall Cofano and myself. Okay. And I, I looked at it, and, I, and they labeled me like I was a made guy, you know? Yeah. And I looked at it, and I said, uh, and my neighbors, they all saw it. And I was kind of a quiet guy in my neighborhood. I took care right. of my neighbors, but... Right, right. It was it was like a real eye opener. I looked at it and said, "You can't trust the press." Oh no! Really no. can't. All guys got to do in this day and age is outlive everybody. Frank Sharon, I will forever call Frank Sharon's lying ass out. The Irish. You got it, man. You yeah. got. It. He no. didn't do it. He no, he, he wasn't even involved in it. He didn't know. No, it. He 
Detroit got slighted in that movie so bad that, like, I lost a little respect for Martin Scorsese. The only mention in Detroit through all that, I need to have Scott M. Bernstein on here so he can just go the fuck off because he, he's a Detroit mob historian and he, his family was part of the Purple Gang. Yeah. And he, yeah, and he, I mean, he's got it, man. As far as, if it's Detroit, he's got it. And it, people have honestly argued me because I was like, okay, okay, let's you buy the Frank Sharon thing, whatever. What about Joey Gallo? Because all of us, not everybody who's half involved in mob history, knows goddamn well that Frank Sharon didn't kill J Joey Gallo. And people have honestly told me, like, well, he lied about that one, but not about Jimmy Hoffa. I'm like, oh, are you – really, that's the answer. That's what you go with. That's how you sleep at night? A liar's a liar. Exactly. Exactly. Henry Hill. I mean, how many times did Henry Hill fucking revamp the stories that he's, like, telling? You know what I mean? You watch one documentary, he stabs him 30, 40 times, and they shot him. Then, they stabbed, then you watch one, he's like, they didn't actually shoot him, they just stabbed him. And then you watch one, you're like, I don't even know if Billy was alive the second time. I don't know. Like, fucking, like, it is. It's ridiculous. I love it because, like, I know those guys need to get paid. And, you know, what, what else was Henry Hill going to do besides keep telling this fucking story? Like, not succeed in witness protection. I promise you that. Not with his personality. That's not my case. I know, I know. It's not but Frank I, did, I didn't have to write the book. Oh, I, I didn't know. have to do anything. I know you didn't. No, you look I like you're doing 26 all years, and I, I finally got aggravated. Came out, came out of my back. That's what I'm saying. You look like you're doing all right. Obviously, obviously, you got yourself set up, and not from like, hey, let me keep selling the same nine stories I got from wise guys I knew back in 1971. Let me tell you when Jim Morrison was alive, and we were running everything, bro. <laughs> do you yeah, miss it though? Do you ever miss? Else. Do you ever miss the glory days? Pardon? Do you ever miss the glory days, though? No. No? You glad it's behind oh, you? I, I look back and I reminisce. I can really live it in my mind. But, no, nah, I'm living good. I'm living large. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. you, ever, you ever think, like, man, it's miraculous I've survived, like, those, those times. For any, anybody who was even half doing business with the mob, I mean, it really could, you could get your take apart. You seem like you're smarter than most and, like, you knew how to handle – just a business aspect of it. So they didn't really want to, there was no reason for you to have to go, but one slip up had you or not, you seem like a stand up guy. I'm not saying you would do this, but do you to fuck somebody's wife? That's it. She gone. You know what I mean? Like no, I never did that. I, I know you did it. You don't seem like the type. I'm just saying one like slip up and like, that's all it takes. You know, like. I had plenty of opportunity to do a lot of things. I just didn't do it. I'd say, no, that's not for me. Right. That's good. I mean, that's good. I, I was it. actually like, that's what made me respect you a lot and really want to do an episode with you when you said why you stepped away from the outlaws. You know what I mean? Because I was like, you know, there's, that's, a, that's, there's that's a guy that wrote a book about the outlaws, and um, he was advertising it in uh, Mike Burns' room, uh, 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 Chicago outfit, old, past and present uh, news articles. And uh, I read the book, and it's all about the 90s. And I mean, Things have changed with, a lot. Uh, Taco Bowman? Talking yes. About Taco Bowman yeah. and all that, yeah. He's from Marysville, Michigan, actually. He grew up like 20 minutes from there, where I yeah. grew up. But yeah. I looked at it, it's like, okay, this is no big thing. It's about Florida. It's about things that happened. But it was no real big thing. I mean, I looked at it and said, things were different. Back yeah. in the old days, this would have never happened. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, if, if, if anybody's the John Gotti to a biker organization, it's Taco Bowman tenfold, hands down. Hands down. He was too, too much, man. He was just too, like, fuck. Because I've done actually pretty extensive research on Taco. Not uh, the older school outlaw, uh, outlaw clubs, but uh, the Taco Bowman era. Most of, I'm a 90s baby, you know what I mean? So if it, if it was happening when I was growing up, I'm really intrigued by it, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I just think, I don't know, I like, I, I like studying 90s shit, too, because it was, like, 
technology's almost there, but not quite. So there's still a lot of shit you can sift and do. I mean, because, I mean, you remember Patriots. You have to remember Patriots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And you knew you were the shit when you had two or three of them. <laughs> <laughs> I really only had one, and it was a Motorola Spirit. And what you could do is call that number and then give the message verbally. And if oh. I push the button, I hear the message. Nice. If it said, call me, you know, or something like that, I could recognize the voice or whatever yeah. it was. They didn't have to put their number. Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch back in the day. There were some people that would, uh, uh, I, I had another pager that I used. I used a Sky page. Okay. Uh, I even remember the number I had so long. Uh, 1-800-519-5360. Isn't it and, amazing the things that don't leave? There's some things they just stick, man. They're just there. I have a binary mind. I remember numbers real well. Oh, no, okay. So, um, at any rate, uh, I had that for 25 years. 25 years I had that. They just don't make and, things like you used to, man. I will I'll never have a cell phone for 25 years. It just won't happen. I'll break it. It's going <laughs> to They make them for throwaways, man. For real. Seriously. Seriously. Made in China. Made in China, man. <laughs> It, it, my Motorola was made in USA. It was made in Chicago. Yeah. Franklin Park. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can't, I mean, remember those old TV, like I, I worry about the flat screens falling off the wall or falling all the time. Those old TVs, you got them where they were going and they stayed forever. The big old wooden box on the outside. Fucking. <laughs> yeah, for, years, for years, I had what they call a, a projection TV. Okay. Where the TV, it just went against the screen yeah. on the ass, and that was the big thing. I mean, oh, that was it. That was it. Uh, I, got that, the, I think I got that 1970, 1978 or something like that. Yeah. But everybody loved it because it was a big screen and it looked like a movie almost. Oh, I yeah. mean, it looked like a TV set, 36 inch or whatever. Yeah. It was, yeah. um, I think it was 50 inch. Probably. I remember. I know that they had the they had the projector things like that, and then the other big thing of like status was the the wheel to wheel. But like, I mean, that's like that's how you knew somebody was was doing all right when you didn't walk in. It was they had a projector or the wheel to wheel. Like, oh yeah, same with uh, like what was it uh, Bam Betamax or whatever. Like right when like VHS I have an original Betamax camera where I actually photograph the guys' weddings and stuff like that. I bring my camera with, and they'd say, "Oh great, we could have a something to remember on." And I give them a copy, and then I give the FBI another copy. <laughs> they could identify each person that way. That's hilarious. The FBI was even using Betamax for a minute. That's hilarious. But I never, I, I got to tell you something. I never went after anybody that didn't murder. Okay. I never went after a bookmaker. I never, I kind of let those guys off to the side, you know. Yeah, I never talked about them, never focused on them. I only yeah. focused on murders. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I can completely understand that because everybody else, it's like you're trying to, you know, you're trying to squeeze a dollar out of 15 cents. You know what I mean? The guys who are willing to like, no, I'm not trying to squeeze a dollar out of 15 cents. I'll, I'll kill you and take the dollar. <laughs> you know, I, I get that. I get that wanting to put them away. How do you feel about drug dealers? You said you didn't personally deal drugs, but what was your sort of thought on them? If they weren't selling mixed jive and they weren't selling, you know, is, is <laughs> Is stand up of a drug dealer as you can be. That's a weird thing to say, you know what I mean? But you're not cutting your shit and it's not killing, you know what I mean? Like not killing people based off the fact that you're putting additives in it that are killing them or you're purposely selling too strong shit to kill them. Like, you know what I mean? How'd you feel about drug dealers? Did you put drug dealers away if they hadn't like actually, you know, clipped somebody or? No. Uh, 
Joey Lombardo told me, I forget what year it was. It was when I first met Joey. He said, one time, I'll only tell you one time, no drugs. And he said, the second time, you won't know I told you. And so I wasn't into drugs. Yeah. I mean, some of the bikers were. They were into crank and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. I wasn't into drugs. So I said, okay, and I want to live. <laughs> so yeah. as far as me running into people, as long as they didn't interfere with my business, right? it wasn't any of my business. If right. it interfered with my business, I put a 45 underneath their chin and tell them <laughs> to go someplace else. Yeah. yeah. Go someplace yeah. else. Right. I like never called the cops. I never called the cops. I just tell them, get out of here. Yeah, you're like, I'm trying to run an already sleazy, legitimate business, and you're just fucking, you know, you're, you're 